I always tell people, we do one thing first. We build an audience of buyers. That's a 365-day requirement, five years every year. doesn't matter. It is the thing that fuels your business. So that's number one. Better done today is so more important than perfect tomorrow. I want you to create bigger ripples of impact and money will follow that. And when you have good influence and good impact, you will do great things with the money that you exchange. And remember, value is created, is an exchange. Don't get weird about money. Money is just an exchange. And the more you can create, the more great things you will do with it because you will exchange it for other things you see as valued. You're listening to the Coach Up Podcast, where coaches come to learn how to build their coaching businesses to six figures and beyond. I'm Kanisha Hart, your host. Here on the podcast, I get the privilege of interviewing coaches who've already made six and seven figures in their coaching business and are willing to pull back the veil and share with you the strategies, the habits, the techniques, and the tools they use to build to that level so you can do the same. Whether you are a new coach just starting out, or you've been in the business for a while, but you aren't seeing the growth and the revenue you desire, the Coach Up podcast will give you insight on what you can do next and what you can do now to accelerate or revive growth in your business. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Coach Up podcast. Let's go ahead and get into it. Thank you so much for being here on the Coach Up Podcast. I am super excited to talk to you today and that you all who are listening, you're going to be excited in just a moment because Christine is a coach who is going to shift how you think about doing business. And I'm just going to leave it at that because you will want to hear what this wonderful woman has to say today. So Christine, will you introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what you do? Absolutely. It is my absolute pleasure to be sharing space with you today. I am Christine Campbell Rappin. I am a business mentor and someone who spent most of my life in the world of business in a really unique way. I tell people quite candidly, I never set out to mentor. Unlike most business coaches out there, what I set out to be was a great entrepreneur. And I grew up in the world of business. I started my early career in marketing. I kept saying it has to be more than pretty. So what? That led me to sales. And then I thought we have this beautiful idea and somebody sees the vision. And then I'd look at my operations group and go, why can't we deliver this? And so found myself in the world of operations and all along that path, it was about influencing people and managing the money and delivering high quality, great expectations. And I did that not just in different job roles, but in different industries and all over the world. And so I knew that that was laying the foundation to create my own path. However, I never realized what, what path I would be on was actually helping peers as I built my own business until people kept saying to me repeatedly, I'd like to buy you coffee or could we go for a walk? I'd like to have access to your brain. And I kept realizing my peers were doing the hokey pokey in their business and we're not seeing results. And I built my first business one hour a day on top of a very big corporate job where I ran half the country. And I had teenage kids in sports. I was getting married, building a house. I had a lot on my plate. So don't believe for a nanosecond you can't do it. 
It does help though, when you have thinking partners who can help you pull the pieces together. And eventually the light bulb dawned because people kept saying, I'd pay you to spend long-term with me because what you say makes sense. I can see it, but I can't apply it. And that's where we are today. Today, I help a lot of creatives shine the light, figure out how to actually create the business. And really it's about having fun, building the life you want, not just the business. You said a couple of things that I know arrested my attention, Christine. One, you built a business on an hour a day, almost unheard of nowadays, even in the world of technology. And I know that was years ago. It wasn't, it wasn't like it was. Oh, it was 2018, which feels old school. Yeah, it's, it's right. Not, it's, not, it's not dinosaur land. <laughs> right. Um, but it's still, I feel like, I feel like 2020 was such a defining year as far as online business. But so prior to that, not a lot before, um, but you also did it in the midst of a lot of other things going on. But you also were in the corporate world and had success. So real quick, what did you do in corporate world? That's a tough question. Uh, well, in the world of corporate, I've done everything. Uh, I've been everything from a marketing manager to business development to a VP of operations. And I said, that's the interesting thing about my career trajectory. I was always the least probably likely hire. And that's an important thing for people to know. You have to create it. You have to get into conversations and you have to be able to see how you can contribute value. Every time I took a career change, I went from either a different job function to a vastly different industry. I was in hospitality, IT, manufacturing, consumer goods, and pharmaceuticals. So it's not like you have this really clear path and people kept saying, and that really led to the strength I have now as a mentor. If you cannot see it, you cannot achieve it. And I kept saying, how could I create value? And I could see how I could contribute and that allowed me to open the door. And so in, in the corporate career, I said, I have done a lot of different things. The thing that I go into any opportunity with is an awareness, I know this much. And this much I have to deliver value on. Everything else I have to learn. And I go in with a learner's mindset. I also go into the opportunity knowing I must rely on building connections to be successful. And that's really important because it's the same things that will make you successful if you want to build your own business. Yeah. And even though we talk about 2018 being you know, very different than the world of the pandemic, I built my business in 2018 online. I have a funny, fascinating personal story. A lot of people think that the digital world is new and Zoom is new and how we build relationships all over the world globally is new. Right. It's not, actually. I will tell you, the first time I left North America, the first time I left home as a young adult, I didn't go small hardly surprising. I went halfway around the world to a country I hardly spoke the language on. I went to Germany and I went through the university program. So I did have some safety nets. I went through a, an exchange, but I started Skyping with my parents. Skype still existed in, I'm going to date myself entirely, 1996. Okay. 1996, Skype existed. And I have Skyped every week with my parents since then. Wow. On in the old school land when dinosaurs still roamed. And I said, I 
remember people were like, why do you guys spend time in the computer lab? I'm like, I'm talking to my parents. And they're like, you're doing what? It was unheard of for many other countries who didn't have access to the internet the way we did in North America. But so I never considered my business wouldn't be online. I never considered I wouldn't grow it virtually. And so while the pandemic shifted for a lot of people, I was like, welcome to the party peeps. Mm, right. She's like, I've been here for a while. I've been here for a while. Let me show you how to do it. And virtual selling does require some different skills. It means skills you need to acquire. Like the same way when I stepped into corporate roles with, I said, I knew this much. I knew I could contribute value right away on this much of content or this much of strategy or this much of insight. And I really knew I had to build connections to make the rest of it yeah. long-term make me a really good decision. And that was really what I said. I said, if you have the courage to bet on me, I will make sure I do you proud. I will figure this out. I will contribute. And that put pressure on me because I was often the only woman at the table. I was the unlikely hire and I wasn't what HR wanted. Mm. because I didn't have this pedigree in terms of 20 years of doing the same thing. I said, no, I'm going to be the disruptor. I'm going to see things and ask things and question things because I simply don't have the same framework that you maybe expected, mm -hmm. but it was the thing that created lots of shifts and lots of opportunities that created income. Where did you get that confidence, Christine? Where did that come from? I think I really credit my parents, to be honest. When I was Growing up, I'm very lucky. I have two amazing parents and I have two amazing sets of um, parents-in-law today. They, we, we moved around a lot when I was a kid. I, I tell people I've lived in five countries, 30 cities, some more than once. No, I didn't come from the military family, although I have lots of strong connections to family in the military. My brother was in active service and so was my husband. I was always moving into new spaces because my dad's career was moving. And so every, you typically three to four years, we moved roles or he moved roles. And that often meant new cities and that meant new sports, new friends, new schools. And so it wasn't always easy to be clear. There were lots of times I really resented, but I just started to find my groove here. And the older I got, the harder it was because you realized what you were giving up. But my parents did an amazing job of look what you will gain. Here's what's new in this town. Here's how you get to recreate it. And I remember when I was about 20, sitting down with my dad at the kitchen table and saying, you know, I don't think you realize how hard this is to constantly recreate yourself. Yeah. And he said, only you give a good, good piece of advice from my dad. He said, only you know who you've been. You and your maker have to look at the end of the day. Did you show up with the best integrity you could today? Were you kind? Did you help people? Did you grow? And if you didn't make great decisions, you will have to reflect to yourself and to your maker. Tomorrow's a new opportunity to try again. But Christine, nobody knows who you were in this moment. So choose who you want to be from here forward. Take the pieces that you loved shed the skins where you think you outgrew it or it no longer served you. Maybe you didn't make great decisions, but this moment forward is more important than what was before. And I think that that was such an amazing early lesson in my life that many people could hear, listen, and please rewind and listen again. Who you were is not the most important story. What you choose to decide from today forward, how you choose to equip yourself, how you choose to connect to people, how you choose to say, I will Make this a non-negotiable matters because when I get to the end of my life, I don't want to look back and say, I wish I did.
it means I'm scared. It means I just don't let scaredness stop me from saying what's around the corner. It could be amazing. And I choose hopefulness to say it could be amazing instead of it could be a disaster. <laughs> and there are disasters, trust me, there are. But I choose hope and that's an active choice. Yeah, I myself will be rewinding to hear that again. Very well said. Thank you for saying that because it, it truly is powerful when you look at even just the next moment, the next decision, even in the course of a day who you are going forward is more important than who you've been. So I can see how that played into and contributed to your boldness to go into new industry to say, I'm the unlikely hire, but this is why you need to bet on me. But I'm curious, Christine, what one of those instances look like? What one of those conversations pitches to a company or even not even, or including you, deciding, okay, this is where I want to go. And now I'm going to present myself and then have the conversation. And do you have a company that you remember where you went through that process and, and what that was? Because I'm really curious what that story was. You know, the first thing it does is saying, you know, you, you apply. I mean, this is the first thing is, is this is the difference I think often between women and men. And, and I see this in the corporate and I've hired this in the corporate. Men will look at a job description and say 10, you know, I, I qualify for 10% of it, but that 10% I could be awesome. And then they apply. Women on the other hand say there's 10% of this that I can't do. So therefore I won't apply. And we self-select ourselves out. And I would say, if you've ever done that, stop, please. Women, you're amazing. You don't have to be 100% perfect to be qualified. And I can remember uh, when I was I was leaving uh, Vancouver, and I think I'm the only person on the planet who leaves beautiful Vancouver after the Olympics to go to Winnipeg, which if you're Canadian, it's like going to Minnesota if you're in the States. Like you leave this beautiful West Coast <laughs> ocean mountains to the freezingest part of the country and you go in the freezingest part of the year. Mm. And I had applied for a job that was uh, an international role it was in pharmaceuticals, which I'd never spent any time in, uh, but it was a it was a people development, business development opportunity. And I remember one, they say, like, they were asking candidly to me, why would you even consider moving here from where you are coming from? Um, this will require international travel. This will be an industry you don't know that is highly regulated. So we need to be on side. <laughs> and come out and really see what this is like. They had a lot of doubts actually around it. And they said, come out. They brought me out, spent a couple of days there meeting with the team. And I said, a couple of things were unique about where I said, you know, number one, international travel wasn't foreign to me because I lived abroad. So I'm like, yeah. no problem. Where are we going? Do, UK. You have a team in the UK. Awesome. I know the UK. I used to live there. You're going to be traveling internationally in male-dominated places in like in the uh, Dubai area and other things. So, well, I have to learn culturally how to do that. And as appropriate, bring a team to be acceptable culture because I have to respect the rules of which I play. And a product is a product. I can learn the product. Trust me to recognize where my gaps are and to fill them with smart people around me, which meant I had to build bridges with people like the pharmacists, like the regulators, too understood how it was, but I said, I could see how I could contribute. And if I could see how I could contribute, I said, I will figure it out. And I did though, I will tell you, both of us played a bit of safety. I negotiated 
what happens if it doesn't work out? Hmm. I did have that conversation before I went in because I said, I'm going to uproot my life, sell a condo, move thousands of miles away. And I also negotiated, I need a, I need a transition period. And that included in this case, smart things like accommodation and ways to settle and trips back home to settle my life. And it ended up being a really strong partnership, but it was about can we trust each other? What safety nets do we have? And what do I know going in I need to learn? Because the truth is, no matter what, in any opportunity, whether you are learning a new skill, taking on a new job, deciding to go into business, there is, it has to be a self-awareness of what do I know? What do I think I know? And what do I obviously not know? Mm -hmm. right. And it can mean that when you go through that transition, you have to give yourself grace. Because I can remember the first month that I was in that role. I arrived, it was minus 40. I had never I, I, I'd never owned a shovel because in Vancouver, if you wait three days, it will melt away with rain. And so there I was in my mid thirties, buying a shovel for the first time. I didn't know what a snow rut was. My car was frozen solid. I had family in that city, so I was very lucky. That was why it was partly a safe transition. But I was so a fish out of water. But I remember phoning my friends and saying, this is the weirdest place on the planet. And they're like, why? Because it's colder than the North Pole. And I was like, well, it is actually today colder than the North Pole here. But no, I said, the weird thing is, is that at four o'clock, the office is empty. And my friends in Vancouver are like, what? I'm like, not really like my phone never rings in the evening I don't work weekends I've been to the gym and the grocery store and at six o'clock and it was such a weird place I felt like I was on Mars for mm -hmm. months because in a metro city I would be up at going to the office at six I wouldn't leave the office till seven yes that was normal for me I thought that was what everybody did it's not and I had more disposable income Simply because the cost of living was so less. I was like, I can see how people get ahead. And I remember having, again, funny conversation with my parents. And my mom said, just so you're clear, I love that you're starting to come off the crazy spin because I was very successful as a young woman in my corporate career. I worked 100 hours a week. I thought that was normal. I traveled. I loved my life. I was single. She said, if you ever not want that, you need to remember the difference. And whatever it costs you to live in the big metro of Vancouver, pay that towards your mortgage in Winnipeg. So that if you ever want to come back, you can afford the standard of the living now. And it was the best financial advice my mom actually had given at the time because it allowed me, as I did eventually leave that part of the world, to go back to other places that had higher cost of living where I could step into it financially. And that meant I actually built quite a big nest egg while I was in a place that the cost of livings were less. Mm. And that allowed me to get ahead. That did make a long-term, you know, allowed me to, when I wanted to go into my business, that I have financial resources now that I borrowed from myself, but I built in my career. Oh, okay. So that's a really good one because I think people often don't know what it's going to look like if they're starting a business. Mm -hmm when to leave their job or if they leave their job cold turkey for whatever reason that what having a financial backing looks like or they hear stories about people oh they quit cold turkey and most of the time I think people think oh they must have had a nest egg or surely they weren't 
were they bootstrapping it? Were, were they getting food from the local church to feed themselves? What does that look like? So I really appreciate you sharing that bit. And I want to come back to that um, because I want to understand, right? How did that support you as you built your business? But Christine, I'm I'm just really curious with what you just shared about this job and completely different industry, how you negotiated, what if it works, what doesn't, um, how did you even be, how, why did they even consider you from the job in the first place with all of these things not aligning you with what the role was? I think it's also is looking at in your local market, do you have somebody to take you to the next level? And if not, you have to look beyond your own pond because for them, they had this vision of wanting to grow globally, but people in Winnipeg, it's, it's not a place that has an airport hub. So there wasn't a lot of talent that said, I have zero problem going to go to business in Dubai. Mm. I have zero problem going to spend periods of time in the UK. I also had the advantage of the cultural piece. So one thing that they were looking on at, and this is sometimes a really important thing for companies to be thinking about when you're thinking about what's your next hire, which is often a conversation I'm having with my clients. I want you always thinking what you might need as a resource and you can't always label it. And so they were looking at in their local market, do we have somebody that can really step us to the next level because they knew the talent they had in their current organization and they had hundreds of staff. None of them had exposure outside of that city, outside of that industry, outside of that. And they didn't know therefore how to cross-culturally build relationships and how to manage cultural diversity when you're negotiating business. My business background, because I, one, had moved a lot, I had gone twice abroad to university. I did an exchange, I said, in Germany when I was an undergrad, and I did my master's in Europe. I did my master's in Edinburgh, which is actually in the UK, of course. And so I, when I applied, it was a bit like she could be what we're looking for if she has the right skill set and awareness. And so for that company, and often this is an important thing for business leaders and managers to be thinking about, if you don't have your talent, you have to grow it if you have that capability, or you have to look outside the box you have constructed, because it's not serving you. And don't hire who you are. That's the easy path, but it never serves you long term. You have to look at somebody who can compliment you, who can challenge you, who can bring new ideas. If you truly want to move, sometimes we don't truly want to move, but if you truly want to move, it's going to be, there's going to be dissonance. There's going to be friction. As long as you're respectful and can push yourself to see the other side, it's amazing what new opportunities you can create. Okay. So you obviously, at a time when you wanted to move, you wanted to create opportunities because you started a business. Why mm -hmm. did you start? your business, Christine? Well, two things that happened. Uh, I always knew I would do something on my own. Uh, and I knew that because it was one of the earliest things I could imagine was creating a business and, and really a service-based business. And I knew that from quite a young age. And I always wondered, I'd, if I knew what it would look like, I would have gone and done it. I kept saying to myself, well, if I knew what I wanted, I would have just gone and done it because I would have eventually gotten tired of my own excuses. It's just the way I was wired and raised. Right. But the truth is, two things had happened in my life to get me moving. One year before I started my business, I had a job that I loved, 
I worked and adored. I worked with 400 or 300 companies all across the, the country to grow their business. And I walked into the hotel lo lobby when I was far from home, ironically in Winnipeg, um, and HR and my boss were in the lounge. And I didn't see it coming. And I was let go. They got on a plane and flew home. I did not. I actually had to spend the next 17 hours in that hotel, far from home, having lost my job, having to make the phone call back home to my then fiance to say, this is what's happened. I can't explain it. And I spent most of the night on the bathroom floor crying. Just I would honest. imagine. They, and, sorry. They flew to where you were, yes. which was not your home. Yes. To terminate your employment. Yes. Oh my goodness. I am, I say I'm sorry because the experience, obviously things worked out, but oh my goodness. Okay. Oh my goodness. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's all kinds of interesting leadership around that decision. However, it, 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 I had to play the cards I was dealt. And so I did go into a period of darkness because I, it just, it was the rug pulled out from within under me. And I was in, I was, we were, I don't know if we were, we don't think we were quite engaged at the time, but there was a whole bunch of moving pieces towards that. And I was suddenly falling apart in front of my bonus kids who are young teenagers who've never seen anybody fired. I actually wrote a chapter about it in a book called Heal. You have the power. So if you're ever curious, that was the story of the genesis of how did the business movement really start? Because eventually I'd lost myself. I gave them so much credit for setting my value that I was valueless because they'd kicked me to the curb. And I started with 10 questions that I drafted. And, and it was like, when I, when I went to each of these new opportunities, whether it was the pharmaceutical role or the manufacturing role or different places, I'd always ask myself the questions, how could I contribute? What does life look like? If I drop the labels of job title and salary expectations, who do I want to be in the next chapter? And it is the first exercise any client that wants to work with me takes. We have to get the vision clear when we drop the labels, drop the salary and drop all of the expectations of this is how I should grow my business. We have to get this to the root because you have to create it for yourself. And so I went and I asked these questions and a light bulb came on, which was, you really need to think about starting something for yourself. I also had so much you know, dented pride that I was like, hell freezing over. I will never let somebody have that much control over my destiny again. And that was fire, fire for me. So I put in my mind, probably six months after this very dark period, I need to get moving. I didn't know what it would look like. And interestingly enough, a conversation from someone halfway around the world in the UK, intersecting parts, reached out to me on LinkedIn and said, I am super confused by what you're doing now, but you always struck me as wanting to do something for yourself. Would you have a conversation with me? Because I have something I think could interest you. I was fascinated by the ask for two reasons. Number one, this was someone I had not had a single conversation with in 10 years. Okay. And number two, this was someone I worked with as a colleague, but we were never friendly to each other. We were colleagues but not social. And so I thought, wow, I have someone who I haven't spoken in 10 years who remembers something about me in a work environment. And she was the catalyst that led me to where I am now. 
and she would have been the least likely person I would have expected. And this is the power of what are you showing up as daily that's leaving echoes mm. that could be dominoes you don't even see moving in the background. And so I was so fascinated, of course, my curiosity got the, the best of me, as it always does, and said, okay, I'm fascinated that you even remember my name. Sure, I'd love to jump on a Zoom. And she planted this seed, which was the first business, and it was a business that's in network marketing. And I said, this could help me learn the skills. This could help me tap in. Do I really want to start doing this? And I started doing it one hour a day. And I almost said no. So this is a funny story, too. So she had reached out to me on LinkedIn. We set up a Zoom call, which we chatted on Wednesday. And I thought, my life is a crazy mess right. in a good way, a mess I'm creating, but a mess nonetheless. I don't have capacity to add in, gee, let's be a business owner into the mix. And that was Wednesday, but I was intrigued. And then on Friday morning, I was like, I started to hear myself in my head saying, this is a money thing. I don't have the money to do this. And I thought that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And I could hear myself in the mirror with my dad in my head because I'd spent more buying pizza for the family with my, the day before than what it cost me to start my business. And so I was like, this is not a money thing. This is a fear thing. And I looked at myself in the mirror and thought, you're afraid to bet on yourself. Who are you? And because I had so many fluctuating things going on in my own headspace, I was so wrapped up in who am I in the transition that I wasn't sure I could see myself. And I thought, that's not who you are. So I said, in a heartbeat, I get on the voice note, I'm in, I will figure this out. And I did that brushing my teeth. And then I went down to the kitchen. And when I was my husband was making a cup of coffee, I'm making myself a cup of tea. I said something really cavalierly like, babe, I've started a business. He's like, you did what? <laughs> like, I'm sorry, what? And I said, I've, I just said, yes, I'm going to start a business. He's like, okay, we're about to be married. And this is probably a conversation we should have had together. I'm like, hmm, never been married, didn't know that was a rule. And truthfully, I said, I need this for me. And he's like, okay, then. Because he knew I was feeling a little lost. And he's like, so what does this mean to us? Like, I'm still trying to process that you started a business. What does this mean for us? I said, I'll commit one hour a day. So will you guys want to watch Netflix or the reruns of Friends or whatever current sitcom the girls and he were watching I will go run my business and when you guys are done two episodes if I'm out not out of the office you have permission to knock on the door and remind me come back out and join the family and that's actually how it started wow okay one I love that you said you recognized it was fear and then immediately made the phone call mm -hmm. what that says to me about you Christine is you see fear you, when you recognize it, it makes you mad that you are afraid. And so then you go and do the thing that you're afraid. Is that correct? Yeah, there's truth to that for sure. And yeah. I have, I will tell you, here's another tip though. I don't always do this as easy for myself. And I know that. So the bigger the risks, perceived risks, the bigger the, the, the head trash, right? And we all have it. But I've now in my business life surrounded myself with amazing women, not exclusively women, but there's a, they're women specifically right now who call me to not let fear run me. So when I do say like, I'm wobbling, or I, I knew I should do this, and I've just been dogging it. I have a group of women who say, let's unpack that together. 
so that I can talk it out loud in a safe space. And it's not my husband because I said, you know, don't come home to your partner if you're building something and all they hear is your fear trash or it's hard or it's awful or I hate it. Because the one thing they're going to do if they love you is say, stop it. And then you're mad. They're like, I don't want to stop it. That's not your safe space. Your safe space is a thinking partner, which is why people often hire me. Help me have a place to talk this through. Help me reconnect to my vision, which is why I take that exercise through with my clients. Help me see what I can't see and bring me awareness to my blind spots because I know this matters. I know learning this matters. I know I'm here on the planet to serve in this way. Nobody promised it would be easy. They said it would be worth it. And it's worth it when I'm growing. It's worth it when I'm contributing. It's worth it when I feel like a sense of play happens. And a moment of, I did that. Because the shift of business ownership is, it's possible for someone else. I could see it's maybe possible for me. I'm doing it. Wow, look how far I've come. This is my reality. Look at what's possible now. And honestly, as a business mentor, I get to sit front row for that journey. And often I'm saying to my clients, do you know where you are right now? Like, look how far you've come. And they're all like, but but there's the mountain. And I'm like, no, no, stop. And one tip here I've been doing, and it's very valuable, is I have been writing in a five-year journal about the business journey. Yeah. And it's funny to look back even a year ago about the things that were winding me up or exciting me. And I go, wow, is that only a year? And just so people understand, a five-year journal, can you explain what that looks like so they can understand why you can look back at the previous day? 100%. So it is, it is one book that has every page has one paragraph or one set of five or six lines for every year of the day. So January 22nd, we'll have five entries. And so you go through the book once, and then the next year you go through the book end to end. So when I'm on, for example, today's date, I can see what I what what I wrote last year, the year before, and this I'm had three years into it. And there is truth, and I don't know if it's Tony Robbins who is the originator of it, but he's certainly one I've heard it for many times, which says we always overestimate what we can accomplish in a year. And it's true. We have big dreams. We give ourselves a hard time. It's not overwhelm you fear. It's disorganized, but go at the speed you can. Speeds change, but we will underestimate what we'll accomplish in five or 10. Have you hit that subscribe button? If you have not subscribed to the Coach Up podcast so that you get notified every single time a new episode drops, make sure you do that right now. And if you're enjoying this episode, leave a review. Your opinion, your thoughts help us to become better and to find the people that you want to hear from to help us talk about the topics that are important to you and to bring you the information you want. So be sure to subscribe, leave a review. Thanks for listening to the Coach Up podcast. And so when I work with clients and I work with myself, I always say, is the engine lit? What do you want to be doing in five years? And it's not to say that five years from now, it just magically happens. No, it's all the small steps you take that are not all forward that build the momentum. And you go, I remember when that's the first time I did that. Yeah. And it has relevant to me today as it was in 2018 when I started. Yeah. Even this week, I said I, I did something on my own channel. So if you follow me on social media, you'll talk, you'll see it. I was like, I have had an idea for six months. I'd research people to outsource stuff to. 
decided who to, I would hire and then they've taken an indefinite hiatus. And so I'm like right back at ground zero. And then I'm tired of myself thinking, I can't believe you haven't done this yet. And so I went and created it myself. It's not perfect. I was this morning editing what I created, but I released it imperfect. Mm-hmm. People need to see the imperfect journey and the commitment that I won't let fear stop me. It will get better. And I know that. And it makes other people in my life crazy. So like, you could just make that perfect. I'm like, I know I could make that perfect, but better done today is so more important than perfect tomorrow. Absolutely. And I must learn this because I'm a woman who's like most women. I need to figure this out before I can trust somebody to give to take that on. Yeah. I want to know what the burden is before I gift you it. <laughs> oh, that's a whole nother conversation. We're not going to go there though. Okay. <laughs> so I am curious about whenever anybody mentions network marketing, I don't know if this is an industry standard or I missed the boat because I was in network marketing. I was in Mary Kay for years. Love Mary Kay. But many people do not share the name, nor do they share what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Would you, are you comfortable sharing either? Well, I'm 100%. I, and I, because I still have my business with it. I still believe in the product. I still believe it. it still creates revenue for me, but it's not a primary business for me. Okay. I started with Arbonne. I had a, many years ago when I lived in the UK, I worked in the beauty industry. Yeah. And I, I helped launch uh, billion dollar brands. I work with some very well-known brands, Gucci, Dolce Gabbana, Lacoste, other brands, Hugo Boss. And I grew up in that. I, I spent some time in that world. I was probably, again, not the unique hire because I wasn't the fashion plate that many of my peers <laughs> in that industry were. Yeah. But I, I, I understood the world of business. And when I came back to North America, I, I was hired because of my beauty background and I ran the duty free at Vancouver International Airport as the VP of operations with 300 staff. Oh, cool. So I had got, and, and, and so I said, then I worked in the world of retail and they said, when you look 50,000 feet, you can see how the connection sort of made sense and how I was able to convince people. I know this much and I can apply it over here, but that really was the story. So I had, and still have a great passion for great skincare. Love it that and so I'm like I'm a five product girl still to this day but I want good product it's not going to kill me it's not going to kill the planet and so I started building my business around a passion and fueling my body with good stuff I love their nutrition line and I'm very proud of that brand and my partnership with it but one thing I knew really differently which most people don't when they start with network marketing is two, it can be a stepping stone, which for me, it was, as I said, it still creates revenue. I still have people refer clients to me all the time because they know I'm a simple, good product focused. I'm like the classic elegance of a Chanel wardrobe. I'm like, it's beautiful, but don't misunderstand what goes on behind the scenes. I believed in what it was and people said to me, it is a stepping stone, but you are not their brand. And so many people think, you know, I am their brand. And I said, no, you are your brand. Clients will choose to work with you because of you. You need to show up and own who you are and the lens in which you see the world, because that's really what will create partnerships and create clients and create revenue. And it was something I was really well aware of. And so when I work with people in that space, I have great respect for the industry, I have great respect for the people it creates, great respect for the income it creates families and the stepping stones for people who use it as a, I could do something amazing with my life. Yes, you can. And while you'll do that, I said, I hope, you know, you realize it can be an incredible vehicle, but you're not their brand. 
You yeah. are your own brand. What will you do with the legacy you create with your time here on the planet? You're here for us for a reason. Step into and around the fear that says, who am I to play so big? Ah, I love that. Who am I to play so big? I also love the fact that just from a, a business proposal standpoint, five years ago, 2018, you have run half the country. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't know if, had you gotten another job at that point or were you still, mm -hmm. okay, so yeah. you were you're working again. So for individuals who think, and, and I'm guilty of this, who think, I can't talk to this person or I can't present my business proposal to this person because they are X, Y, and Z. They are too high in their career level. They're way above this opportunity that I'm too small fish for them to put all that thinking aside because again, someone who is running half of a country in a business and to be approached with what some consider in the network marketing industry to be, oh, you know, it's just like, it's not a real business. You're connected with some, that mentality can happen. I applaud the woman who is courageous enough to reach out to you. I applaud the fact that you were willing to listen. And I say all that to say, ask everyone, if you think there's an opportunity, if you think you can provide value and be of service, what you have to offer, as you were just talking about, you are your brand. You're not mm -hmm. your brand, you're your brand. Step into that and share because you never know who is in need of what you have to offer. And you had a need, which is the, you wouldn't have said yes otherwise, you, right? And so you did, and then you built it in an hour. Christine, what were you doing in just one hour a day that's even remotely effective for building a business? You know, the thing is, business is elegantly simple, and, and people are trying to convince you otherwise. Don't let them, okay? Business is elegantly simple. And I knew this from building businesses, hundreds of them, and, and probably combined billions of dollars in revenue. Businesses, two things predict your revenue, only two. And you need to be aware of them, put a post-it note around your workspace so you keep focused on them. It's how many people are you meeting because your business will be built on strangers. And how many offers are you making? Those two things only predict your revenue. And so if you want to know what I did every hour, sometimes it was, you know, 10 minutes in the lineup to Starbucks. Sometimes it was at an airport lounge. Sometimes it was getting off waiting for my luggage. Sometimes it was sitting for an hour and it was never the same. I just simply said showing up was not negotiable. I must put in the legwork because the compound fact is real. It is the eighth wonder of the world. And so every day I was very focused. Do the two things that move the needle, either go meet people or make sure you're making offers. And that was just really what the difference was between those that started to see success, my peers, and those that didn't. I said, I didn't go at it saying, I'm going to go do this and then do that for three days and then decide it didn't work and stop. That's what often happens to everybody in business. I said, one hour, one hour, one hour, I'll do it. I'll commit. And I focused around those two things. So it was like the daily method of operation. What will I focus on today that moves the needle? Everything else is distraction. Everything. And there's a lot of them. And the world convinces you that you should go play with shiny objects. And we like them. So why not? 
But there's those two things you need to keep front and center. And then, you know, as this shifted and evolved, what I realized is most people come to the world of business, whether it's in network marketing or even to the world of entrepreneurship, without the tenure of sales, marketing, operations, finance, and HR in their wheelhouse, they didn't know that they needed to build the foundations to improve the result. And that's what I do. I, in my Business Scale Accelerator Mentorship Program, that's what I do. I help you with the foundations of business because without them and the skills and the understanding of how they connect, you cannot create repeatable, sustained success. And that's, you have to learn to build an audience of buyers, which goes after go meet new people. How do you do that? All of us as adults go, I don't know how to make friends with strangers. Well, guess what? If you want to be a business owner, you have to learn this because you have to be the engine. You do not have to be your only fuel source, but you have to be the engine. So I always tell people, we do one thing first. We build an audience of buyers. That's a 365-day requirement, five years every year. doesn't matter. It is the thing that fuels your business. So that's number one. Number two is you have to understand what marketing is all about. It's not the tactics that matter. There's a million tactics and a million tactics work. question is what will work for you, but understand what marketing really is. It's movement. Movement from curiosity to paid client. How do you curate and create movement? That's an intentional strategy. And so because I'd spent so much time in pulling all these pieces together, I said that we have to have a through line from building the audience to getting them to move, to making the offer. And why will an offer convert? Which means that somebody says yes. They'll say yes when there's a clear result that they value. The big reason why lots of businesses struggle is you get into education and you talk features and benefits. But that's interesting, but you never tell me, so what? Why does this matter to me? That's the nut you have to crack because it isn't about the, this is how we do it. And this is my justification of myself as a business owner. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about the how, but they care about the result. And so we build these three foundations. And if you understand how to do them consistently and you focus that one hour on did you meet some new people that might value what you do or how you move people through something and did you ask them if the result would be valued to them and invite them to the offer, you're a hobbyist not building a business. And it's true, it doesn't matter what the business is. And it doesn't matter whether you're a solopreneur running a multi-million dollar enterprise. Those three things always need refining. They always are your engine. And it's really that simple. And it's not effortless. A lot of people have built, and I think it's partly because of the network marketing industry, that all I have to do is post on social media my product, and it will create the revenue. It doesn't. And that's because you're not the brand and you're not the product. People choose to bet on you because they believe you can help them achieve the result. How are you building confidence with people that you can guide them to get the result they seek? Too often we don't ask, what's the result you want? And you said to me, thank you for the credit of, don't assume she didn't have interest. I said, what was the result that she asked me? It wasn't, do I wanna build a beauty business? It wasn't the ask she made. It was, do you want to create a business that could open doors for you? And what would make it valuable to me? And at the beginning, I said $1,000 a month. That's my goal. 
If I could create $1,000 a month, it meant I could retire five years earlier out of corporate. That was the goal line. It was small. It grew from there. And I no longer work a just one hour a day business, but this was the point. She was asking and saying, I knew you wanted to go places. What's the results you want now? This could be the vehicle to get you there. Are you curious? That's how you grow a business. Christine, do you do summits? Yes. How many days? It depends. Um, I have done events that are one day. I have done events that are day and a half. I don't do the marathon stretches myself. I don't think they add a ton of extra value. Okay. I ask because I'm just sitting here thinking another 40 minutes is not enough. Um, <laughs> the answer to that is let's have a conversation on how we can play together. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. Okay. All right. One, building an audience of buyers is a 365 day, five year commitment. Mm -hmm. I have never heard it put so succinctly, powerfully, and adamantly. You didn't say it adamantly. I heard it I adamantly. I believe it adamantly. <laughs> okay, great. Because, yes, I, I one, just the concept, which I'm about to ask you, how do you build an audience of buyers? Not an audience, not a following. As you said, posting on social media is not going to convert you to sales. Mm -hmm. But just the fact that it is a commitment eventually a skill that we learn that has to be done every single day as an entrepreneur I think that's yeah that just setting that standard just makes it's it the thing you're missing you know yeah. people say hey, how come I don't have enough clients and I'm like you don't have a big enough audience and it's not when I say big enough I don't mean that it has to be thousands and thousands and millions and millions of people like the right offer to the right person is a one-to-one -one win. So don't get totally caught in the numbers, but I said, if, if you, you know, if you, if you only talk to two people this month, you didn't make any offers. We have to up the volume. A little bit. Okay. So what's involved in building an audience of buyers? Mm -hmm. The first thing you need to understand there's, I call them three. So what factors? because they tie into the next piece of the puzzle. First off, people do business with people. So you need to know why on earth are you even in the arena? You need to know that to grow your business, it has to be bigger than convenience for you. So what can you commit to and why are you doing this? Why is this a non-negotiable for you? And you have to be able to articulate that because that is about people. Remember, when people want to know about each other, they don't want to know what you do in your business. They want to know why you're doing your business. They want to know what result do you get, what, what motivates you. That's the thing that really drives curiosity. And remember, our goal in movement is curiosity. Okay, so you got to think about why are you doing this, number one, because people do business with people. Nobody got out of bed today thinking they would hire you. 3% of people are ready to buy on any given day. So you have to have a plan to get in front of a lot of different audiences to be able to identify who are the 3% that day. And if you simply hope that it's going to magically happen because you 
manifested it or you put it on a vision board, you have an affirmation, wake up, it's not enough, the action has to follow. So love you kindly, but there you go. Number one, it's, you know, why you? <laughs> Number two, you need to understand that in order to create movement, describing the problem is what your peers are doing. It's not working. Don't follow the crowd. The problem with describing the problem is yours coming from the place of enlightenment. Your language is about enlightenment. You've all seen the journey. So you've already got the t-shirt. And two things happen. If you are using description words, two things will happen in the audience that you're, you're generally putting content out in front of. One, I don't see myself in your storyline. And you could tell me till you're blue in the face, but I just still don't connect the dots. I'm not aware enough yet that you're talking to me. So I don't move. Or I do know you're talking to me, but I feel shamed by you calling me out and therefore I won't move either. Well, all of this is a dead end. So that's what I see as a problem in the audience piece is companies describe the problem or attack the problem and none of it creates movement. And without movement, you don't get a yes to your offer. I always say to people, can't involve yourself into the deep end. You need to understand your client your audience, your buyer has a problem. What is the problem? Is a description. Perfect. It's not enough. Go below the surface. Go into the deep end. What does the problem cost them? Emotionally, financially, mentally, in the wider scheme of things, you need to understand that depth of it so that you can sit with them in that darkness and say, I see you. And you have to have the courage to be vulnerable with your story, the story you probably don't want to tell of why you relate to them. It's a relational issue. You've got to build the relation. And from there, you need to think about and understand and say, what's the line in the sand that gets you moving? Chances are you're a human being. You've drawn that line more than once, probably hundreds of times. But what's the time when you really say, I'm done with my excuses, I can't stay here anymore, because that's the difference between an audience and a buyer. I'm moving. It's a movement piece. And this is where it's really simple, not effortless, needs support to get there. But you've got to identify where the movement is. And then you say movement to where? Well, you need to leave footprints in the sand. Safe ways people can follow guidance without having to say, I want a discovery call with you because I don't, that's really scary. So you wanna build this strategy and move a buyer through experience, experience that builds trust, it builds credibility, it builds character. For someone to become a buyer of your services, not just a buyer, but a buyer of your services, they have to say, I like them, they're going to rattle my cage, I feel safe with them, and they have got the t-shirt and know how I trust they know how. And I see predictable results with other people they work with. I trust that they're my must hire. And so we, we're looking for buyer behavior, which is when are you moving? How do you disrupt the pattern in movement? How do you connect and build a relationship in that space? And then the third so what that we always work with in my client group uh, is why you? You know, for the buyer to be the buyer of your services, why you? And this is the one where everybody, when I say why you, they all go, uh, I, I don't know how to answer that. 
Have you always dreamed of doing voiceover from home but have no idea how to get started? My name's Jesse Carroll and I put together the perfect course for you. It's called the Voiceover Jumpstart Course. It's a course that's designed to take you from knowing absolutely nothing about voiceover all the way to everything you need to know to be a working professional in only six weeks. So if you want more information, head over to jessiecarrollcoaching.com and you can even book a one-on-one -on -one call with me if you want to find out if it's right for you. So thanks for listening to the Coach Up Podcast and hope to see you in the course. You must learn how to answer it because people need to have confidence that you don't wobble when they say, why work with you? I said, I know why you would want to work with me. It took me a long time to be clear. It might take you some time too to get to this answer. But if you want consistent client conversion, the reason you choose to work with me is I can help you pull the pieces together, build the skills to build the through line so that what? You can make good decisions to create repeatable success in your business. And I will hold you to help you build the life you want. Why? Because I've got daggers in my back. I've got some skin knees, but I've created a lot of success in my own path. And I walk my talk. And I give you permission to call me on my stuff, as well as you're giving me permission to call you on yours. It's a partnership. That's a safe space. And so to create an audience of buyers, you need to understand those foundations. You need to do the work to be in the deep end, even if you need floaty wings to stay there. That's okay. It has to be safe for you, though, to be in that darkness. And that's an important thing about building a business in something that is very personally tied to your own story. You have to be healed to do it. And the coach is not your healer. If you need therapy, go get that. That's separate. But from there, you must commit to a visibility strategy. You must decide what tactics you use. I'm actually just in the process of producing a resource of just 25 ways to build to attract an audience of buyers. There's lots of tactics. Choose the ones that work for your style, your capacity, and the things that really feel like great energy for you. And then hone your craft. I, in my business, only have three strategies to build an audience of buyers. They're the three that were the 20% when I was doing all the noise. Mm -hmm. So Christine, the 80-20 principle, remind yourself what's the 80-20 principle. 20% of your efforts create 80% of the results. I slowed down and went back to what are the two things that create my revenue? What's the 20% that really created the yeses? I said three things. Okay, I'm not doing anything else. They are speaking, networking, and events. Those are really important for someone like me in my business because they are experiential. You did not get out of bed today thinking you needed a mentor. Maybe now as you're listening to us, you're thinking, I might, that might be actually what I need, mm -hmm. but it's experience. And you might have, I might think I need that, but to your point to me, I might not need it today. So, well, then I have to create a journey for you to have other ways to intersect with what I do. So until you feel confident that actually now is the time and every person I know always in hindsight says, I wish I'd done it earlier. Okay, no problem, but that's your journey. I have to build faith with you that I will be here in three years or two years or six months. And so many people in business don't think about that foresight and that point of what am I creating? So I'm creating where I am all in. I know my so what. I know why I'm doing this. I know what's the deep end that people really truly want. I know where the gap is. I know what to say for them to say, that is actually probably the missing piece. And then I invite them on a journey and say, if you really want to work with me, this is what it looks like. 
But this is what it looks like to get the result that you seek, which is I want a business that's profitable in a life I love. And I want to feel like I deserve to be there. I'm capable of being there. And I know what to focus on in the hours I'm prepared to commit to see results. Like, awesome. I can help you do that. Oh, my goodness. Okay. One, thank you for sharing the tactics that you use um, because I, I was absolutely curious speaking, events, and networking. I am curious, Christine, as you talked about the so what's, the three so what's, and you talked about you've got to be able to, I love what you said, we are taught so very much, describe the pain of your customer so they know what you, they know that you know what they are feeling. But you said, now you have to go deeper. Mm -hmm. And so can you, with your business now, mm-hmm. so I can get, I guess, a, a experiential mm-hmm. understanding for your clients, when you, you go deeper, when you're talking to, what does it cost them? Can you describe what mm-hmm. that is for your clients? Yeah. You know, the places I always think that if you want to kickstart, how do you do this for yourself? It's always, what's the conversation with the girlfriends between girlfriends? What's the conversation at the coffee shop when it's unedited? And that's the place you need to go. That's, and when you're brainstorming or honestly, go sit in the coffee shop, go sit around the sport arena, figure out where your audience is and go, what's the conversation that's unedited? And to me, it's the conversation that I hear from them is, I have been doing this for a long time and I am running out of runway. I have tried a million things. I've probably wasted resources, money, for sure. I don't trust myself to know how to do this. I think perhaps that big dream I had was actually meant for someone else. There's the belief that I am never going to do this successfully. Nobody will ever pay for my value because I'm not seeing success. Therefore, why would they bet on me? It is the conversation in their head that says, it's so much easier for someone else. Can't you just show me the way? And then they bought into somebody's program and said, they showed me to show the way. And guess what? It's not working. And the truth is, maybe I need to get a job. Maybe I can't do this. Maybe the real truth is I'm scared to do the things I do. And yet I can't go to sleep without thinking this is my destiny. And I say to people, if you don't have the business you want, only three things are the reason. Number one, you don't know how. Well, I'm going to, with love, give you the hard, tough love. How is the laziest excuse you own? Because how is a knowledge-based problem? And knowledge is free. It is everywhere come to a free one hour webinar with me if you want. I will show you the how I build my business. It is most of what we've talked today, but how is a lazy excuse? Don't tell me you don't know how to build it because you simply haven't investigated and taken action. Just being honest, but true. That is you in your own way. Number two, I know how and I'm doing it and I'm exhausted, but it's not working. And the truth in, if you're in that lane, doing more of the same is not the answer. So something needs to be fine-tuned and you cannot see your own blind spots. 
staying doing the same things that are not working will exhaust you and you'll start to have those doubts that I just went through. Maybe I should go get a job. Maybe I can't do this. Maybe I don't trust myself to spend money with someone else anymore because I've been so burned and I had hope. And you know what? Why in the hell would this work now? And all the rooted, I'm not good enough to do this comes into play. I said, you need a thinking partner to see what you can't see because somewhere there's an incongruency and somewhere the seed of doubt guts planted. And if you're not prepared to bet on yourself, do not expect somebody to put their paycheck in your wallet. It's fundamentally you not walking your walk and they can tell and they see it and that's dangerous. That's number two. Number three is I, I know what to do and I'm just not doing it. And guess what? Your why isn't big enough because you haven't decided this is non-negotiable and no one's going to build your business for you. And it's okay to have the idea but if you want to live the implementation, you must be your own engine. You do not have to be your own fuel source. But you can't expect someone else to drag you. This wasn't a conference call. This was your purpose. This was your download. This was your guidance. The moment you decide to draw the line in the sand is when you'll move. If that line isn't drawn, and here's, a, here's an insight. The why isn't external. It, in my own business, when I told my husband, soon to be husband, that I'd started a business, my answer in the moment when I was unexpectedly asked, whoa, what the heck, sweetie? What, why are you doing this? And I said, I needed it for me, was the most honest answer I gave. It was unedited. As my business ebbed and flowed, I started to believe that the why was someone else. My husband didn't have great health. So he might not live a very, very long life. I don't know that 90 is in his cards. So I wanted that $1,000 when I started to retire early so we could play younger. I have aging parents, two sets of them in their 80s. That's a storyline that hijacks my life. I am responsible in some big ways for decisions in their place. And I needed to be available to go anytime to support my family. A corporate job didn't always give that freedom. And I didn't want to debate the guilt of family first. Because nobody in that job will remember me five years from now. So I started to believe, though, socially acceptable, that the why was elsewhere. I'm doing this for someone else. And I, it was during COVID. We were sharing an office. My husband had been working from home. And so he was in my ecosystem. And he heard me say this a couple of times. And he checked me on it. And he said, okay. I've heard you say this a couple of times, but can I give you some commentary and feedback? I'm like, sure. He said, look at that vision board. 90% of it is not us. 10% of it is us. We're not your why. We love who you are and how you show up and the way you influence and support people. You have our utter support because we see the impact you're creating. We see how you are evolving and we love your journey. This is not our business. We don't have the same passion or commitment for it and you don't expect it of us, but that is oxygen to you. It is not about us that drives you. You will get to the end of your life knowing the ripples you created and you do it because of the ripples you can create because of the life you've given to date. And I was like, oh, it was tough. <laughs> it was a little bit of a heart moment. It was a little bit of Wow. 
And yet I then had some conversations with some girlfriends and said, one of the big catalysts for change in your life. And it was when you started to do your business for you and say, this feels like oxygen for me. It's a non-negotiable that I do this. If your why isn't there yet and you're looking externally for it, and you might be thinking I'm doing this for my children or for my church or for my faith or for some other reason, I want you to also know the biggest engine is when you go, I'm actually doing this because it feels like fire in my heart. And that's your fuel source. You have to tap into it. And sometimes it dims. Sometimes we need people in our lives to breathe oxygen into it to really light that flame. But I will tell you, only three reasons are why you don't have the business you want. So what fear are you buying into? And when's the time to draw the line in the sand? And if you draw the line in the sand, how do you get going? It might be, I need somebody to hold my hand. And the biggest fear you face is, wow, what happens when I make myself a priority? That's hard. Was my biggest issue when I first started. And it comes up every now and then, still to this day. It wasn't the money. It was then I really have to follow through on my dream instead of living someone else's, whether that was the corporate role, whether that was the you know money we put together to put our kids through school, for the retirement plan, for the vacation of the year, whatever it was. I said, what happens if I actually put that money towards myself? I put the time towards myself. And I say, my dreams matter more. They are a priority. One hour a day. That mental shift was the hardest. And my husband's like, take your own advice. And what advice was that? It was bet on yourself always. You just hurt my feelings. <laughs> oh no, how? <laughs> I mean, until this goes on YouTube at some later date, nobody will see the facial expressions that you could clearly see I was making as I cringed as you talked about the truth ow is the laziest <laughs> excuse <laughs> oh i don't know how lazy excuse for doing for not doing something oh my goodness i've never heard somebody say that but that's so true um and then if you're just not doing stuff but you know what to do but you just keep not doing it you're searching for an external why that's not going to propel you mm-hmm there's a lot more, but I'm just going to move on because I'm going to need some time to recuperate and heal. <laughs> Sending you big loves. <laughs> Sending you big love. Sending you big love. It is appreciated. As they talk about, that's good, tough love. You didn't even know you were giving. You are just speaking truth. And that's the most important thing. And I love that your husband checked you as oh, well. Yeah. Because what it says to me is we, even though we can know something, even though we can teach others, even though, as you said, when people are choosing to work with you, not only do they have to believe that you can get them to the result, but they have to know it, right? Like you've walked the walk and they have to, in some shape, form, or fashion, know that. You were teaching, you knew it, you believed it, but you weren't living it for yourself. And we can be in that space. And I think there's shame that comes with that when we're not whether we're cognizant of it or not, mm -hmm. but it still can happen. And when someone is kind enough to check us or we get the conviction and realize it, it's just admitting it and then making the shift. Yes. Easier said than done. But 100%. the question we ask all the time sounds great. Is it true? 
And that goes back to this. I feel like a toddler many times because I hear this in my head about a thousand times a day. And so my clients hear it quite a lot too, which is so what? Sounds great. Is it true? So what? Because that's the piece that really matters the most. And I will tell you the reason, if you truly want to create motion and that leads to momentum, the number one thing you need to have in your head is that refrain. So from now on, you'll hear Christine in your head saying, so what? Because you need to remember not just to put it out there, but to interpret it and execute the action it leads to. That's the real big step of leadership. My dad, there's an episode on my podcast that talks about the three levels of leadership and my dad's guidance to me when I was very young. I talk about it a lot in my business. You know, first level of leadership is gather facts. Second level of leadership is interpreting the facts. That's so what? So what? And then the third level of leadership is to take action and implement what the facts and the interpretation guide you to do. It's the decision-making component. At every level of leadership, the personal risk gets higher. That's why the crowd thins out. And truly for you to know and grow a business or to just be a good human being, you need ownership of self. And that means decision-making. That means interpretation. That means looking at what the facts tell you and getting honest. Every big line in the sand is taken when you get honest. Know the gaps, bridge the gaps, take the action. And it was such an important part. And when I just approach my life day to day, I'm always challenging myself to what kind of leadership role do I play? And I sleep at night and go to bed and say my prayers. I always say, what kind of leader did I show up as today? And I always remember the first rule of leadership, which is you guide yourself first. And then you guide others. And so this is an integrity thing. And it is about pulling by your value system, the buyer towards you and saying, you know, if you don't act in this manner, I will not ever make you an offer. And I will ask you, sounds great. Is it true? Mm -hmm. And when my husband said to me, sounds great, Christine, is it true? Take your own advice. I was like, oh. and it was very valuable. And it was interesting because once I'd heard that and I could hear it in my head and hear it in his roles a lot, it did start to move my momentum. And when I started to hear other women and I had done some collaborations at that time with other amazing women and who'd been through great adversity, but said, when I decided I was building my business, it was when I decided I was doing it for me. This was an integral part of who my storyline was going to be, what legacy I wanted to create. And I couldn't hide anymore. Mm, yeah it's scary why is it fun Ooh, it's just yes scary i'm sure the fun part comes after you figure it out you're like what does the fun right i'm sure the fun part comes later (laughs) you'll send me a note one day the fun has arrived (laughs) i promise you i am banking on that so i'm curious about the making offers portion Like you've shared amazingly in depth about building the audience, Mm -hmm. but now making the offers. Because you said those are the two integral portions for Mm -hmm. generating revenue in your business. When you talk about making offers, first, don't make offers to people who are not your audience, who are not your buyers, potential buyers, as you just said. Once you identify that, okay, what do we need to know about making offers to drive revenue? A couple things. You need to really understand two things. What is the result they seek? And remember that the result isn't just monetary. 
Okay, monetary can sometimes be the easy thing and we get lazy and so we stop at the easy. I want you going back into the deep end just like I was in the, the audience piece. What does the consequence mean of having the result? Because that leads to why is it worth it? And that's an important conversation to understand because you need to know what pulls them past convenience because they're scared. And they if they could get there on their own, chances are they've tried, maybe they've even invested and they are not where they want to go. So it's really understanding what does the result entail? What is the consequence of that result or benefit or halo and spillover? And why does that matter? Because when you are in the process of making the offer, the thing you need to do is first understand that and to ask the question, this one, importantly. So why haven't you done it? What's holding you back? Because you need to get to the point of priority, to the point. When it's a priority is when the transaction will engage. And I always say to people, and you'll hear this in the, my podcast, but there's three lanes of traffic in your audience of buyers. There's the slow lane who says, you know, I get it. One day on one day, I'll need you. But if you spend all your time trying to convince them and make offers to them, you're going to go broke emotionally and financially. And that's where businesses get stuck because it's safe. And they might like you. You might be a likable expert, but you're not a must hire. Business requires you position yourself as the must hire. The middle lane is someone who is cyclically going through the same problem. And we're human because we have patterns and we repeat them. And you need to be able to disrupt the pattern that says, yeah, we're back in the white knuckling. How's that going? Do you know that that's not the only choice? And you can do it in any style you like. I'm doing it glibly, tongue in cheek in the moment for, for entertainment value. But you can say, you know, being on the other side is optional. You know, there's you can cross that path and there's a process to do that. But would you even want to let go of your excuses and be on the other side? And that's a question lots of people will go back into their shells like, no, I really like my excuses. They're great. They're comfortable. Except for there are those that will draw the line. That's where your bread and butter business will be built. And you need to be able to assess it, disrupt it, have a clear movement piece, and then say, would you like to know what that looks like? And then you can guide somebody through that. But you need to know that you can talk about the results. You can understand what it's going to create. And you can say, so if you don't do this, you're going to be back in this cycle. And I get maybe today you're not ready, but the next time you're in the cycle, I want my brain to come up in your head in a great way. And you can say, oh, she promised me I'd be back here. And maybe I do need to re-engage. But that's your middle lane. That's where you'll build your business. The fast lane is somebody who is the unicorn client. The better you are at audience building, marketing your message and getting movement going, you will have more unicorns in your field. And what a unicorn client is, is somebody who says, I'm already where I have a problem. The gap is known. I know I can't get there on my own and I'm committed to finding the solution. And they've already made some commitments and promises to self that I won't be here in six months or a year. And so they already likely are aware of your roadmap or the results you create. You're in their awareness sphere, but you need to say the time is now and make the offer and they move quickly. And that point you move quickly and it's beautiful. As it celebrate the unicorns, they're magical things. You can curate more of them if you're very good on the foundations and celebrate them because that's a new beginning. And I hate this idea in sales and offers and that idea 
that you're hunting and you're closing clients and it is very predatory. It's not the way I build my business. I build an ecosystem that I build awareness. Buyers start to identify and move towards me. They can experience me in a lot of different ways. So they show up and ask me the question, tell me what it's like to work with you. And I don't immediately make the offer because you can't buy a $9 thing in my business and end up a client. I don't build my business that way. I'm a high touch, high result. You want to get there, I will guide you there. And that's a choice. I have capacity. I know what it is. And I make the offer when people I feel good connection with and I believe in what they're doing. I say, I will help. But you ask me and invite me. And it's a conversation because I will be asking the question, what do you really want? What's the whisper that you're afraid to vocalize? Because you have to whisper it to me and I will help you then amplify and stand in it and own it. But you need to understand the offer is about the result. And so here's an important piece of that puzzle. You may have multiple programs and services, but they all should deliver one result. It's the result of what do I stand for? The difference in the different offers is the amount of support, the amount of speed, and the amount of guidance you provide. But the result should be the same. And your commitment and integrity should be to help ensure they get the result. And if you are not confident that you can guide them or that you feel like they are not committed to that, have good integrity to not make the offer. But recognize if you do not make the offer, don't rely on the other person to ask in 100% of the time because you'll never make any offers. Recognizing you must create the safe space. What do you want? Why is it a priority? Why do you believe I am the right guide for you? Those are three questions I ask before I ever put an offer on the table. Because I want to ensure there's a good marriage here. Because working with me is not something you do. You don't build a business in a nanosecond. So we're going to spend quite a lot of time together. And it's a new beginning. How long do you, first, do you typically do only one-on-one or do you do any group? I have done group in the past. I made a strategic decision in 2023 to park all of my group programs because what I was seeing in the marketplace is people are not succeeding in group ecosystems and the coaching industry as a whole has gotten greedy and thinking the answer to scaling is more heads in seats instead of more valued results. And I am not on board for that. So I made the decision to 100% say, I simply will buck the trend because I'm a disruptor and say, I'm not gonna do it. I will only this year work with clients because the runway is shorter now more than ever. And the marketplace is moving. And so you need to get going. Every day compounds. Let's jumpstart. Let's go eyeball to eyeball, your vision, your work, your result. Let's get you moving at whatever speed that looks like. It's a very customized approach. Where are your gaps? There will be group things you can participate in, but you don't pay for them. It's not a group program in that sense. Like you can come to um, uh, one of the webinars that I run. Mm -hmm. You can engage in, in, in 
workshops or events that I speak at all the time. You can be in a group environment and there's key to that. But what I will be bringing back in 2024 is those clients that have moved really far in that one-to-one will be in the place where they need masterminds. They will need that. We are all now clear enough on our own story that we don't get lost in the background. Because what I see right now more than ever is you're spectating in your business. You're not driving in your business. And group programs allow you to think I'm doing something. Mm. But are you? Mm. Yeah. You're not implementing. And the implementation, it's go time. It's go time, my friends. So I made that decision much against everyone's shock in my industry and said, nope, I know what my capacity is. I will work with clients. I will build them through. And now is the time so that you can really hit 2024 strong. I say to people, Q2, which we just wrapped up, is the most dangerous quarter of the year. If you do not have a pipeline of business already built, that audience of buyers constantly with the wheel is running well, you're going, I'm going to take the summer off because I don't have any business. The problem is you're going to start from zero in September and you'll go, oh, October comes around. You don't have any new clients. Oh, November comes around. And then you're like, next year will be my year. Mm. Stop it. That's a choice. You can start building your audience today, working with me to have a very strong fall and a very strong lead into 2024. It doesn't mean that you give every summer hour of your day to spending it with me on a virtual screen, but I will tell you small bits. How do you eat the elephant one bite at a time? Compounding is the eighth wonder of the world, as you said. Yeah. Christine, your um, way with words is very cool. For that to be the descriptive that I just used, and I'm talking about your linguistics, is that the right word? Yes, is not great. However, the fact, I love that you said, you're a whisper and you amplify it. Mm-hmm. And then you just said something else and I was like, your command of put words together is just amazing. I love it. Thank you. And you know, this is an interesting thing because people ask me about this. So, so a part of it is I think because I've lived all over the place. And, mm-hmm. and so that, that's probably where it comes from a lot of different cultural influences. And um, people say to me all the time, you know, will you write my, will you write my words? And I'm going to just tackle that. The answer is no. Um, because I need them to be yours. One of the things I do, and it is the most profound thing I do with my clients, is I do help you craft your words, but I don't originate them. Mm-hmm. And I always say to my clients, I want you to brain dump. And then I will be saying, so what? Is it true? And helping you then ensure that it connects to movement. And so I do work with my clients on writing sales emails writing newsletters, writing website copy. A copy component is a big part of that. That's why a lot of people said to me, are you marketing? I've said, well, marketing is an element, but the goal is the result that you're achieving isn't, I did marketing. The result is I received client growth. And we do it by how do we structure the movement? And I do use all of my expertise in marketing and sales to help you. And because I've done both, that's why the result is strong. Yeah. They need to be your words because you to make you a uh, an echo of my is a useless exercise. My ego doesn't need it and you don't need it either. You are strong on your own. Your words will call your audience and we will help them move from curious to a buyer of your services. And it is then about the congruency. 
and said, you'll never sound like me, but you must be the origin and then I will help you polish. And that's different. I think it's really dangerous. I see it time and time again to outsource your words to other people. Your voice is the most powerful thing you own. If you own those three so what's, why your story, understand what makes you relatable in the darkness for somebody that is seeking solutions. You are not the solution, you're the guide to it. And then why are you the right guide? This is a very personal journey. Please don't outsource your words to someone else. You can have somebody help you polish them and build congruency through them. But it's important that it starts and always feels like your business, your story. And how you choose to deliver, I said, is your choice of tactic, mm. your vehicle. You just took me beautifully into the last question I have before I have to wrap up. Thank you again for the extra time. My father. As you talk about it, it's your business, it's your journey, it's your voice. At some point, Christine, you made a transition from mm -hmm. network marketing into your business mentorship. Mm -hmm. When did that happen? And what was the catalyst for you that you decided to make that pivot in your business? You know, two things were happening at the time. Um, number one is, of course, like I said, lots of people said, hey, can I spend some time with your brain? Um, and I, I said, just as much as I had gifted today, I will gift you the roadmap to create success. It's free. Please use it. It is then people saying, I can see the roadmap now that you have kind of taken the veil off. I can see how you do it in your business. I'm really well aware. And I said to all of my clients, you get a front row seat of how I build my business. There's no question that's offside. I want to show you why I'm doing it, where I'm stumbling, how I'm thinking, where I'm going so that you can see the evolution chapters ahead of you. That's why clients like to stay with me long term because I'm growing and so are they and we rise together. But what was happening then people said, okay, I'm going to go do this. And I'm like, awesome. Honestly, I feel that genuinely awesome. Go do it. And then they'd be like, this is really hard. <laughs> I was like, well, I didn't say it was effortless. I said it was elegantly simple. And so people then started saying to me, I, I respect you and your time. I'd like to pay for it. I was like, wow, this is fascinating. And so it sort of was an organic growth story. And they're like, what would it look like if I paid for your time? And I said, you will not pay for my time you will pay for results. And that's an important thing. Please remember, people don't pay for your time. If they have to pay for your time. They're always debating whether it was worth it or not. You don't pay for the hour you work with me. You pay for the 25 years of experience that I have gathered to help you make a clearer, faster decision. And when I was first asked to people to say, I'd like to pay for you to, to mentor and guide me, to help me think through what I'm trying to create, I went to somebody who I knew was in the coaching space and he's a, a really well-respected coach. Uh, people spend many millions of dollars to retain his services. And he's a friend, he's someone I met through my business. Actually, I met him um, through Lunch Club and we have played together on his programs in the past. And his thing is about stepping into your divine gifts. And he's like, I want to help more coaches succeed. And I said, I'm being asked to do this and I don't like what I see in the industry. So I'm a little struggling with the integrity of owning that label and marketing myself as a coach. And I don't, as you notice, I mentor, I use my a mentorship, which is a different element of this business. And he said, the difference between you and what I see in other business coaches 
is people think that they should charge $10,000. That's the magical number, $10,000. And if you're going to charge $10,000, you're solving a $100,000 problem. Because for somebody to invest, it has to be exponentially worth their return on investment. So the problem with most business coaches is they've never had a $100,000 problem. He's like, you've had more than a $100,000 problem in your life. And I know that. I said, yes. And he said, you know, you've made decisions about taking company from startup. You've worked in big business. You've managed hundreds of people's career. You've had to make decisions that were tough. You've been in legal hot water in, in moments and you've lost your job. You've, you've fallen from the tower. And that's a different kind of thing. When you ask for your investment level, I have confidence in you and that you can swim in the deep water. So Christine, have you got what it takes? Yes, you have. Don't worry about your pricing. It is going to be a good return because you also as a human being will not show up in integrity, taking people for a ride. And so I was asked, I had that conversation, which was a very influential conversation by Kellen and said, okay, what will I stand for? And I had to really think I do work with a mentor, but I work really hard saying, do who do I want to call? What kind of problem am I going to help them solve? And how do I stay committed to helping them get the result? Which was, I'm not going to do a four-week program. I'm not going to do an eight-week program because it's not that I can't kickstart you, but you're not going to get the result in the four weeks. Because the issue is not just the theory. I could teach you in four weeks, but that's not the same as getting the result. And I didn't want to be seen as a teacher. I will help you build the skills, but I want the skill to help you get the result. And I was very always focused on that. So I was invited to do it. And then I started to explore how would I do it and stay in integrity. And then I thought, what's the difference between a coach and a mentor? And I looked into you know how I'm, I've used both in my life and said, really, I am a thinking partner. And I happen to have the ability to, to guide you and to help you build the skill, which is a very different position than I think what I see in the marketplace. You are, I love how God does this. You are so poignant in how you speak in the fact that literally, Christine, I had typed way back at the beginning of our conversation, what is a thinking partner? And mm -hmm. then to just bring it back, you think of yourself more as a thinking partner. Can you share what that means to you? Yeah, you know, the, the thing about a thinking partner is the key to figuring out what's possible is to brainstorm. And brainstorming with somebody who has a lot of experience, I said, helps you filter through ideas, helps you round out what other viewpoint am I not seeing. It isn't an exercise of yes and no, it's an enrichment experience. And so one of the most important things I, I do with my clients is question, brainstorm, how do we make it stronger? What's the other side of the lens that we need to be looking for to be anchored into those three foundations of movement? And so when I think about, it isn't about you necessarily finding your own answer, it's how do I leverage a lot of experience to figure out what's possible? Because for many people I work with, they, they haven't had a lot of business ownership experience. And so they don't know what to ask. I said, well, I know what to ask. Let's brainstorm around what to ask. And then what feels right for you? And then the full endorsement of, I believe in you to go get it. Let's make it happen. And that's a fun experience. But it is about 
me kickstarting with experience, here's what we could look at. And then exploring it together in a brainstorming capacity so that then I ask the question that kind of that coaching hat comes back on, what feels right for you? What lingered? What sparked? What's the bit that feels the scariest? And then as I'm working with clients in the work that I do, a big part of it is both that kind of session. But then when I'm observing, sounds like we got it, but I see the hesitation. My invitation is that step into leadership of, do you want to do working on that together? And then the next session might be, get your computer out. We're going to draft the words, brainstorm it together, bring me something we can pick at and really think through together so that it's done and you keep moving. And so it's the blend. I can leave see. nobody behind. <laughs> leave nobody behind. I can absolutely see you have just showcased throughout this entire conversation why you are an amazing thinking partner. And I really appreciate the example you just gave because it really does highlight the difference between a mentor and a coach. You bring that experience that you can kick off. People don't know what to ask or they don't know what they don't know. But a mentor has that knowledge to say, I do know, I can provide you some guidance and then we can talk through and I can ask you those questions. Okay, I have to at some point in our time together, in honor of you, bring it to a close. I must say, this has been enlightening for me. I have a ton of personal notes that I will be reviewing and going back and questions that I need to ask myself. And so that's, I just appreciate you so very much. Thank you. I value. Okay. Are you ready, Christine, for the before you go? Quick fire round of questions. Sure. Fire away. All right. What one tool or app would you not do business without right now? Well, I'm going to say my screen. Zoom time. It, okay. Got it. All right. That completely makes sense. <laughs> what tool do you use to collect payments for your clients? I'm in Stripe. Because I take, I take, I take uh, multiple currencies. Ah, okay. Cool. Oh, and it converts it for you. Love it. Okay. Your most effective, effective method in finding and securing new clients. It's conversation. You can see that. I'm sold. What tool <laughs> do you use to set up client meetings? I use TidyCal. I like TidyCal. This is the thing. Maybe people don't know. TidyCal is a really great one. Here's a, here's things. Most people use Calendly, but Calendly you can pay for. TidyCal, you can actually buy a one-time membership and have as many different types of meetings as you want. And it does send reminders in advance. And so I really would look at your bottom line profitability. Calendly is great, but TidyCal will help you keep more money in your pocket and provide you more features for less dollars. Yes, Christine. I had not heard of that one. Excellent. What one thing do you attribute the most weight to in scaling your business to six figures? Mentorship. And then book or podcast or both. So please make sure you tell us about both of yours. Um, would you recommend as a must to consume? You know, the, there's two there's two books I'm going to say. The first, if you're still contemplating, like, what do I want my business to look like? Um, reading The E-Myth Revisited is really important because it talks about the difference between, you know, wanting to be a consultant, wanting to be a, a solopreneur, wanting to be a business owner, and really understanding where you might see your own vision. Because scaling is not the same for everybody. Some people think scaling is, you know, I want to run teams and other people are like, not on your life. Do I want to manage people? 
So really figuring out where you want to create the business. Because I said my business, I said I choose to create value versus churn and quantity of people. It's just a different way to look at it. No right or wrong answer, but that's a good book to really help you understand uh, what's possible. And so you can figure out what is aspirational for you. That'd be the first one. Second one is The Slight Edge uh, with Jeff Olson. I really like this book because it talks about you know the compound effect, focusing on 1%, stay in the movement. That's a really important foundation, which echoes a lot of what I believe. Uh, because I said, the difference of 1% being consistently is the difference between you know ending up in the ocean or ending up on the moon. Which direction do you want to go? Set the course and go. And so that's a really good one. Um, in terms of podcasts, you know, I... I float, uh, flirt all over the place. I will tell you, though, in this moment, mine, because I think it might be relevant today. So my podcast is called Amplify Your Marketing Message. I do both solo episodes and inter interviews in it. This is an interesting one, because when I first started the podcast, I really wanted it to realize, like, there's a lot of tactics. When you were, if you understand the movement, which is what I stand for, and the strategy behind it, you're going to want to look at different tactics. Instead of going into the land of Google or Facebook and finding the cheapest alternative, what I've curated for is great people to go work with when you're ready for that component. And I also wanted to make sure I had a good bit of skills where I don't want to play so that my clients could help collaborate, could help move more quickly. And I said, once you build these foundations, you're going to want an accelerator. And the accelerator is different tactics. And so that's an important piece of it. It is also an opportunity, though, to really help people understand the foundations of business. I want you to create bigger ripples of impact, and money will follow that. And when you have good influence and good impact, you will do great things with the money that you exchange. And remember, value is created is an exchange. Don't get weird about money. Money is just an exchange. And the more you can create, the more great things you will do with it because you will exchange it for other things you see as valued. There's not another way to end that better. <laughs> I'm just going to say thank you so much for being here. This has been amazing. It has been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Coach Up Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with someone else, with another fellow entrepreneur, a friend who you know needs to hear this message. Also, if you've enjoyed listening to the Coach Up Podcast, be sure to subscribe so that you get notification every time a new episode comes out. And if you would be so kind as to make sure that you go follow me at The Connection Collaborator on Instagram or LinkedIn at LinkedIn forward slash Kanisha Hart, then I would be delighted to connect with you, hear from you and hear your feedback on how the Coach Up podcast is helping you in your business. Again, as always, thanks for being a part of the Coach Up podcast. We will see you on the next episode.